So today we're starting a new series on consistency, and uh, this actually is kind of, kind of one of my favorite topics. I, I, we're going to talk about some great stuff in the next few weeks. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to somebody and tell them out loud something that you do every single Sunday. Go. All right, so what do you guys do every single Sunday? Church, that's an obvious one. That's an obvious one. Some of you guys weren't too sure about that. That's fine. What else? Well, wait, you what? Eat. Like, is there anything particular that you eat? Like, is it like after church we go out as a family? Anything like that? Okay, all right. All right, anything else? Anybody? No? You what? You love your wife. Just Sundays, though. (laughs) All right. Okay. All right, we're going to have uh, marriage counseling uh, coming up soon. No. What else? What else you got? Watch sports. Anybody nap? Anybody do a Sunday afternoon nap? Yes. Most spiritual thing you do all day, take a nap. God bless you. How about coffee drinkers? You got to wake up. You got to have your morning coffee ready to rock. All right. Okay, good. Well, we are, uh, we're going to be talking, as Doyle said, we're going to be talking about um, consistency. That's what our new series is about. And this, this last week, as I began to study for this, um, I remembered, um, so here's a little insight into my life, and it's probably the same as yours, is you have things that you do every single week, right? Or even every single day. You have a schedule, it's pretty set from week to week. And so one of the things that we've implemented into our schedule as a family is swim lessons, because my kids are getting a little older, they're going to be swimming this summer, and so we thought it is time to get these kids swim safe. And so or, uh, and so we get them signed up, and on Mondays is when we go to the swim school. In the swim school, their slogan is, just keep swimming, right? Which you know is from Finding Nemo, Dory, right? Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. So and it's about uh, consistency, about showing up. And I realized very quickly on why they had that slogan. is because of after the first session, I was ready to quit. I was done. I didn't want to be back anymore because my son, Ezra 3, he decided that he was going to scream for the entire 45-minute session the entire first month of swim lessons. Like, it was so bad. There were other parents who would walk up to me and go, hey, it's okay. It's going to be fine. Our kid did it too. You just got to keep showing up. And I'm like, I don't want to anymore. I don't want to do this. And uh, about a month into it, he finally got used to the water. He actually started to uh, enjoy it, and he's starting to figure out this whole swimming thing. Well, this last week was a holiday, and so we didn't have swim lessons, but my kids really wanted to get into a pool. And so we went to our friend's house, and we went swimming for a little bit. And um, Ezra and Sienna, they're about six feet away from me, but they're up in a jacuzzi. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm talking to our friends, and all of a sudden I hear my wife scream, Ezra's fallen in. And what happened was he was walking around the edge of the jacuzzi, and then he slips, and he falls into the middle where he can't touch anymore, and he goes under the water. And so I jump up immediately, and I'm going to go grab him, but as soon as I get up there, I see that his little head has popped up. He's rolled on his back doing the starfish, and then he has, he swam over to the side, right? Yeah. 
He wasn't as excited as I was about the whole thing, but I was very excited. I was like, yeah, buddy, you did it. You know, you, you made it to the side. And, and so what I realized is, is that because of his consistency, the last few months of showing up every single week, going to his swim lessons, doing his practice, that when the test came, he was prepared. He was ready to go because this is something that he's been practicing. And the same is true of all the different arenas of our life is we value consistency. We value and we understand the, the, the power of consistency. And it, you may not have thought of this before, but there are a ton of sayings that represent how much we value consistency. Let me give you just a, a couple. Uh, slow and steady wins the race. Keep on keeping on. I think that's from the 70s. I don't know. Keep on keeping on. Um, uh, keep on trucking. Put one foot in front of the other. And then for the millennials, it's every day, all day, every day I'm hustling, always on my grind, no days off. And it's because we understand consistency to continue to show up. And that's why we buy the products that we do and we partake in the services that we, uh, that we do is because we value the consistency in the brands and in the restaurants and in the food and in the services because they've offered us something that we like and then they figured out how to offer it on a consistent basis and so we continue to return to purchase or use that thing. And companies know this, by the way. In, in fact, some companies will put this as their slogan that they are consistent. So let me see if you recognize a couple of these slogans. You can shout out uh, the company. A diamond is forever. De Beers. Yeah, you're close. Okay. Um, like a rock. Chevy. Come on. No? All right. Uh, like a good neighbor. How is it that one that you know? All right. Uh, and it keeps going and going and going. Energizer, right? The Energizer Bunny. See, what they're trying to tell us is, hey, buy from us because we are consistent, we are reliable, we are dependable. Same is true of our relationships, by the way, is you value consistency in your relationships, in your spouse, in your kids, in your coworkers, your boss, your employees. You want them to be consistent. Of course, you want them to consistently show up to work if, it, if it's work. But you want them to be consistent in their personality. You don't want to wake up and go, okay, who are we getting today? Is it Jekyll or is it Hyde? Is it going to be a good day or a bad day? You value consistency. It's also in those consist in consistency that we find stability. Kids thrive under consistency. Marriages thrive under consistency. It also helps us to make wise choices. If you're a single, I think this is especially true for you, is um, if you are thinking about dating someone and maybe even potentially marrying them, one of the most valuable things that you can look for is their consistency, is the past is a much better indicator of their future than whatever promises they may make. I swear, baby, I'm going to change. It's going to be different this time. <laughs> no. Promises mean very little. Consistency. I want to know what your past looks like. Because your past is a better indicator of the future than whatever promises you may give. Warren Buffett, the famous investor, he says um, that he has four things, a checklist of what he's going to invest in. And the number two thing that he looks for is he looks for consistency. That they have demonstrated consistent earning power because the past is a great indicator of what the future is going to look like. And I want to know if it's been consistent. Consistency also... Um, is what has brought us our biggest successes in our life. Is if you look at the arenas in which you have matured, you have succeeded, you have had progress, and you will find that you have been consistent in those areas. 
Because what we usually do is we make small investments of time or money or energy over a period of time, and it has accumulated into something great. This is how you save for retirement. This is how you get in shape. This is how you build a great marriage and invest in your children. It's not just one time where you go out and you just try really hard. It's a consistent investment over time. My dad says that any uh, successes that he has had in life has been because he just refused to stop. He just kept showing up. So there's lots of people smarter, lots of people more talented. I was the one that just continued to show up. I had a, a seminary professor who is a world-famous philosopher. I was so excited to be in his class. First day, he gets up to the podium and he says, you know, I've never been the smartest guy in the room, which is if you knew who this guy was, you'd be like, what? You're like one of the smartest people in the universe. How have you never? He said, I've never been the most talented. I've never been the most gifted. All those people who are more talented and more gifted, they stopped a long time ago. I'm the only one who just keeps showing up. He says it's consistency that was the key. This is also why we continue to bug you and hassle you and remind you to be consistent, to be here every single weekend. Because we understand that if you want to mature in your faith, it is going to take consistency. It is consistency that continues to grow you. Now, I don't know if this is a young people thing or this is an everybody thing. I, I think it's an everybody thing. But one of the trends that I've seen recently is that we want an experience and we want that experience to change us. And so what I mean by this is we want to have some transcendence. We want to have some worship experience. We want to have this profound moment. And that's what's going to change our life. But that's not really how the world works. It's not about intensity. It's about consistency. Consistency. There we go. I knew I could get that word out. Consistency. It's not about having that experience. It's not about having that transcendence. It's about constantly showing up and chipping away and maturing and growing. I've uh, been in ministry my entire life. I've either uh, witnessed ministry from the front row because of my parents or I myself have been in ministry for uh, quite a while now. And I have noticed what brings people into maturity in their faith and what oftentimes ends in people quitting. And of course, consistency is a part of that. And the reason why people are inconsistent oftentimes varies. It could be, I'm distracted. It's a busy season in my life. I got a lot going on. It could be conflict. I don't like what you've done. I don't like you. I don't like whatever. It could be, there's a ton of different reasons of, of why people are inconsistent. But the result has always been the same. It did not end well for those people. It, because I've never seen someone go, you know what? Um, one of my keys to maturity has been to be inconsistent. It's to show up when I want to, to invest when I want to, to hang out with people whom I want to. No, it has always been, you know what? I just kept on going even when it wasn't any fun. And so if I were going to boil down the, the Christian faith, just a couple things, especially when it comes to, to church, um, I would say it's pretty easy. Pick a church, show up every weekend without any excuses, get involved, and don't quit. That's it. I have seen people stick around here for 20, 30 years. They're not all that smart, but yet they're doing pretty good. Why? They keep showing up. And that's a part of our maturity, is we will grow by being consistent, not by chasing the next great experience. So um, I want to focus in on one area of consistency, and that is character. Because I think that character and consistency are, are, are really closely related. That if we have deep character, we will be consistent. And if we're consistent, we're going to develop our character. So let me start with this. Character, what is it exactly? Character is, at its simplest form, who you are on the inside. It's who you are when nobody is looking. It is your desire to do what is right, even when it is hard or costly. 
character um, is, is, is developed over time. And we can see that a person has character um, by their consistency. So uh, character has always been something that, that people have struggled with. I struggle with it. You struggle with it. it it's, uh, it's part of this sin thing that we have to deal with. But I think something new has happened within our culture is that not only do we, do we uh, struggle with inconsistency in our character, but I think that we have begun, and this is pretty new in, as far as human history goes, is we no longer value character. We value gifts, we value talents, we value successes, we value all the things that if you look at the people that we admire as a culture, character would not be one of the top things on the list. I don't think we have to look any further than the last presidential election to go, you know, I don't think we value character that much. I'm an equal opportunity offender. I'm not saying one side or the other. I'm saying both. We look at it and we go, okay, we like certain things, successes and power and things like that, but character that's probably not something that we value much as a culture. And I like to, um, when I see people like this uh, on TV or, or whatever, I like to think of them as, and maybe you've had this before, is those uh, chocolate bunnies on Easter. You ever had those chocolate bunnies when you were a kid on Easter? You get this big old thing, and it would be a chocolate bunny, and you go, oh my goodness, I have never seen so much chocolate in my life. I'm going to be in a sugar coma within an hour. This is awesome. You know, I'm super, and then you take a bite into it and you realize it's hollow. There's nothing on the inside of this chocolate bunny. It's just a chocolate shell. And you're like so angry. I mean, you still eat it, but you're angry. You thought you had so much more than you really did. I kind of think of a lot of the people that we admire in our culture as chocolate bunnies. They look great on the outside. Oh, man, they got it all going on. But just dig a little bit deeper and you realize it's kind of hollow, kind of shallow, not much there. Not a whole lot of character has developed behind those talents or those successes. And so what happens eventually is when we feel the weight of life and whatever's going on um, and it's hollow, that thing will implode. It will be crushed under the weight. If you watch TV any day this week, I can almost guarantee that there will be a business person, a politician, an athlete, a celebrity, even a pastor that will have had a moral meltdown because they have had incredible success, but they didn't have the character to sustain it. And so now they're caught up in some scandal. It happens nonstop. I've seen it countless times just in the last six months. And so I think the big picture is who you who you are will ultimately determine who you end up or where you end up. Who you are will ultimately determine where you end up. See, these people had all these successes, that they were at the top of their industry, but now they've had this moral meltdown. And because they've had this meltdown, we no longer remember them for their successes in life. When we hear their name, we associate their failings. We go, oh yeah, all those things that they did kind of wiped away now because all we can think of is the scandal that took them down. And so our character is actually what's going to determine our success in life. Because we might be able to make it for a little bit, but unless we have a character to sustain our achievements, it's not going to last long. I uh, regularly read about pastors who have had moral failings. I seek out articles to read them, especially ones that have been uh, successful, because I want to remind myself that if I ever achieve anything in my life, it will not last unless I have the character to sustain it. And it's kind of a way for me to put myself in check. Do you want this article one day to be about you? Do you want your kids to be hearing about your failings? It kind of scares me a bit, and that's, that's sort of the point. And what I've realized is my wife 
she doesn't really care too much about my successes. I mean, yes, it's great, but you know what she's more concerned about? Are you faithful? Are you loving? Do you care about me? Do you care about our kids? I would, I would get rid of any kind of achievements as long as we have those things. My kids, what are they going to remember me for? Are they going to go, oh, his name was this, and he did this, and he didn't? No, they don't care about anything. They want to go, did daddy play with me? Was he here? Did he stick around? Did he invest in me? Yeah, passing on material wealth and all that would be great, and sure, I think we all should strive for that. But the more important thing is, am I passing on my character to my kids? Because that's going to bring them far more success in life than any kind of head start I give them, is who they are becoming, not what I can give them. Romans 5, it gives us kind of an outline, a summary of the process of how um, character development happens. And it says this in Romans 5, 4, it says, We know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And so Paul is laying out this idea. He says, you know, if you want to develop deep character, here's how it's going to go. And nobody likes this process. It says here, it's going to start with suffering. Oh, great. Sign me up. I can't wait to be a person of character. Where do, I, where, do I, where do I get the suffering from? Well, life kind of has a way of working that out. But I want to look at one biblical character in particular who is a great example of character, but also gives us insight into how God develops our character. So this person, um, you're probably familiar if you're a church person, is named uh, Joseph. And Joseph was one of 12 brothers uh, by a man named Jacob. And what happened is Joseph was born later in life to Jacob, and so he was the favorite son. It was very clear. Everybody knew that he was the favorite. In fact, he got this robe that made his brothers envious. And so one day, as um, he's talking to his brothers, he knows he's the favorite. And he, I don't know if he's rubbing it in. I don't know if he's young and naive. But he says, you know, I've been having these visions from God. And the visions are that you, my older brothers, and you, my father, and the rest of our family, that you are going to bow down to me one day, and I'm going to rule over you. All right, I don't know if you've ever had an older sibling before. Probably not a great way to go about things, but he goes for it anyway. And so all the brothers one day are out there, and they are attending to their sheep. And Joseph rolls up, sent by his father. And as they see him coming, they're like, ah, oh, great, here he comes. But it's not just like, oh, man, it's our brother. Here's what they say. Let's go and throw that up on screens. And if you have a Bible, you can read along with it. If not, I'll read it. Here it goes. Uh, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. You have family drama. You don't have this kind of family drama. Here comes our brother. You know what? He is so annoying. I say we kill him. You know, I just I, a noogie. I think would have been appropriate, but all right, we'll go with. So one of the brothers, Reuben, jumps in and he says, "Guys, uh, time out. This is a bad idea. We're overreacting a little bit. Um, let's go ahead and throw him in this cistern, kind of like a well. Let's throw him in there, and we'll figure out what to do with him. And his plan is to go and, and kind of help him escape later on." Continues on. So, so here's what it says, verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And so I imagine that he's sitting in this well and he's listening to his brothers who sit down after they throw him in there, they have lunch and they're trying to figure out what are we going to do with Joseph? And this is all my interpretation, this is all my imagination, but I kind of imagine that he's giving them tips like, guys, 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 hey, 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 forget this ever happened. You know, like he's trying to tell them, and here's what happens. As they're sitting down and they're having lunch discussing, a caravan of traders are on their way to Egypt where they're going to go and sell their goods, and they have an idea, and enters into another brother, Judah. Now, if you don't know anything about Judah, you can read his story in Genesis 38. It's one chapter, and it is 
fascinating. I have read it before here uh, in, in, uh, in church, and there are certain things that I cannot talk about in church. You can read it on your own time. Okay, so here, here's what he says. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Again, I imagine Joseph going, great idea, Judah. This blood thing's messy, man. I think we should probably forget about it. Let's go, you know, let, we're, there's a lot of synergy happening here. Let's keep with this flow of thought. And then he continues on and says this, come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. All right, Judah, we were going in a good direction for a minute there. Uh, I don't like the slavery thing. What's, uh, what's the game plan? Here's what he says. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. Well, there's some compassion right there. Guys, we should not kill him. He's our brother. We'll enslave him instead, right? All right. So they sell him into slavery. 17 years old, he's hauled off to Egypt. They take the money, they divide it amongst themselves. They take the robe, they tear it, they put blood on, they give it to the father and say, your beloved son is dead. Well, Joseph arrives in Egypt and he's purchased by a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar was the captain of the guard, very important, powerful man. And it is here that we get our first glimpse into Joseph's character. Here's what it says. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. And so we see that um, Joseph is a man of faith and he's a man of character. That because he has been trustworthy, reliable, faithful, loyal, that God has blessed him and Potiphar has entrusted his entire household to him. First learning that we get about character development is character is developed in times of trial. That's what Paul was pointing out in Romans 5 is that if you want to develop your character, it is in circumstances uh, of trial. So I think most of our character is developed through everyday decisions that we make. It's the small decisions that we think are insignificant that are adding up to something. So it's the white lie. It's the shortcut that we take. And then when we hit a moment of trial, our character is exposed for what it truly is. And we can either continue to build and stay strong in who we are, or we can compromise and we can give up. But whenever we enter into a time of trial, our character will never exit the same. We will either be stronger or we will be weaker. We will either be deeper or more shallow as a person. And so every trial is an opportunity to either break down or to grow our character. Joseph um, had been betrayed by his family, and so he had a choice to make. He had entered into an incredible time of trial, and he could either be bitter and angry and be cut off to any future relationships and be shallow and decide not to let anybody in on his life, or he can be a person who forgives who grows, who finds healing, and is open to future relationships. What also happens during these moments is our, our foundation is kind of exposed. Is in those moments of trial, we don't get to fake it anymore. We're too tired, we're too upset, we're too downtrodden that who we really are is exposed in those moments. We get to see what we're really made of. And so Joseph's response is, to work hard, to trust God, to do what is right, to forgive. And through this process, God ends up rewarding him. Now, Joseph's story, unfortunately, uh, doesn't end there. He has a roller coaster ride ahead of him. And so here's what happens in the next verse. It says this, it says, Now Joseph was built, well built and handsome. I call this the curse of beauty. Something I am so aware of, personally. 
is a curse. But the reason why I call it a curse of beauty is because there are, um, there's a tension between giftedness and character. Giftedness being talents, natural talents and abilities that you have. It could be beauty. It could be uh, your personality. It could be anything that you're born with. Or it could even be resources that you were given. And there's this tension between having these resources and talents and character. Because oftentimes what happens is instead of developing character, we instead rely on our talents and our gifts, and it stunts our character growth. And so we end up being shallow. I, uh, I did youth for a really, really long time. And I would see these kids that would come in, and I could identify, okay, they're pretty popular. It seems like they're kind of a uh, leader. And some of them were just too cool and too cute for their own good. And I wanted to go to their parents and go, look, you have the potential for a problem here. I don't know if you need to start making their clothes, if you need to keep braces on till they're married. I don't know what it is, but you got to halt this thing, all right? You got to make sure you keep rain on this because there is this tension between them developing their character and their natural gifts. And if you don't figure out how to balance those and keep those things in check, um, you could end up, your character could end up being sacrificed. So in Genesis 39, 7, of course, this was all a setup. The reason why it says he's good looking is because after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Apparently she's a woman who knows what she wants and she wants Joseph right now. And so she just says, Joseph, uh, you're good looking and I want a piece. Is that, can I say that? Is that, that's like a, a modern translation. Um, <laughs> But it also gives us insight into character development because character development happens in moments of temptation. Is everybody experiences temptation. Jesus experienced temptation. That is a part of life. But, um, and temptation can come in different forms. It would be sexual temptation, material temptation, temptation for power, temptation to lie, to cheat. But I think what we see in Joseph's story is we're most vulnerable to temptation during times of disappointment. I don't know about you, but in those moments of disappointment, I often can, can justify my disobedience. Oh, it's been such a long week. Oh, it's been a tough day today. I really deserve this cheesecake. I really, I mean, in between services, I ate one of those butter bars because I'm like, I'm speaking today. I need the carbs. I need it. But I've, you've done it. I've done it. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm single. God hasn't provided and I have needs. You know, I, uh, I've been faithful for so long, and all I've felt is betrayal and hurt, and so I think it's time for me to do what I want to do. Joseph could have played this game all day long. He could have been a victim. Look, uh, if you know his story, his mother died when he was young. His family obviously hated him, betrayed him, sold him into slavery, and now he's found himself in a position in which he can practice some, uh, some pleasures of life. He can pursue those, and I can see him just going, you know what? I deserve this. I deserve to have some fun in my life. It has been nothing but hard. But because of his consistency, especially his consistency of character, here's what happens. Let me read this. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now, we understand that Joseph is consistent in his character, but he also exposes something deeper about character development here. 
Because there's really two parts about character development. There is the, or, or being a person of character. Because if character is about doing what is right, even when it's hard or costly, you have to, one, know what is the right thing to do, and the other is you have to actually do it. You have to have a motivation strong enough to trump whatever other desires you may have in order to pursue the right thing. So the first part, knowing what is right. Our society is one of the first societies that has made this claim um, that there is no such thing as objective right or wrong, that you get to decide what is true for you and I get to decide what is true for me. I've heard this saying uh, recently, and they say, you need to live your truth. Just live your truth. Now, if that is true, and I have my truth and you have your truth, all it takes to be a person of character is just to be true to what I believe and who I want to be. Just be true to myself, and then I am a person of character. But clearly, that's absurd, because the person who says, well, you know what? The true me, this is how I was born, I like to steal I steal stuff. Like, that's who I am. Or like, I murder. I like murdering people. That's how I was born. And so I got to stay true to me. I got to keep it 100, baby. No, that's ridiculous. The reason is because there's no such thing as my truth or your truth. There's only the truth. And it's only when you live according to the truth that you are a person of character. And the truth is not based on opinion, concerns, cultural trends, even biology. Joseph says that the truth is found in God. It is his character that determines right or wrong, and it's only when we align with him and what he has said is, is good or what he has said is evil, then we can be people of character. The second part is doing what's right, and that means that we have to have the motivation to actually do what we know that we should do. A lot of us know what we should do, but we don't do it. This is the struggle of life, right, is I know that I should save more and eat less, and guess what? I don't do either of those things. Why? Because I have a desire stronger than uh, my desire to do what is right. Lots of people say, you know, um, you can do what's right because it's advantageous to you, and I get that. I can understand why people would do the right thing when it benefits them. I don't understand doing the right thing for the sake of just doing the right thing. I mean, it's something nice to say, but do we really do? No. If I can get away with it, nobody's going to know. There's going to be no punishment. I'm not going to get in trouble, and I can have pleasure or some kind of reward. You better bet that I'm going to do it. Why? Because my motivation to find uh, things that reward me or to have some kind of pleasure is far greater than just simply doing the right thing. But here, Joseph points out that he has a motivation that is outside of himself. He says that my motivation is to please God. That even if nobody else sees, even if there's no consequences, I know that my God sees. And I want to please him. I want him to be able to reward me. I want him to be able to bless me. I want to make him happy because I love him. And so my motivation is outside of my own willpower. It is all about him. So what happens to Joseph next? Well, we find out that Potiphar's wife is not happy that she has been rejected. And so she screams and says that this man has tried to take advantage of me, and he's immediately thrown into prison. The roller coaster ride continues for Joseph. And next week, we're going to talk about the second half of that. But here's what I want us to, um, and this is why I think it's important to stop here, is in the middle of this story, Joseph doesn't know what the end looks like. He, all he knows right now is that he has been a person of character, and it's been really costly for him. Which, by the way, is a good indicator for us, is being a person of character can oftentimes be costly, which is why a lot of people don't do it, because it's easier to go with the flow. It's easier to just do it and just to say, yes, to be a person of character means that you're willing to sacrifice. And so here he is. He's in prison. 
He's been a person of character. He's been consistent, and he's in the middle of the story going, God, are you listening? Are you here? Are you going to take care of me? I've done everything you've asked me to do, and this is where I've ended up. I find it interesting that we stop at this point where Joseph is in the middle of his story. He doesn't know how it's going to end, and you and I, we're in the middle of our story, and we don't know how it's going to end either. How are my kids going to turn out? What's this job going to look like? Am I going to find this job? Where am I going to be in 20 years? What is this? How does this all end? We're in the middle of our story as well. We do know that Joseph was able to be consistent in his character. And so the last question I have to finish is, how do you maintain consistent character in inconsistent circumstances? Joseph's answer to this was he trusted God's character. He said, I believe that God will fulfill his promises In the past, he has done what he said he was going to do, that he loves me, that he cares for me, that if he promised something to happen, it's going to happen in his time. And so the way that he was able to stay consistent and maintain his character is by drawing the strength and trust that he has in God's character. Here's what I think this looks like. The same day where Ezra uh, decided to take a dip, um, his sister decided it was time to swim without floaties for the first time. So she takes her floaties off, and we get in the pool, and I jump in, and I'm in the pool, and I say, okay, Sienna, jump in and swim to me. And it went from being theory where I want to swim without floaties to being like, oh, that's deep. I could, I could sink. And I could see it in her eyes. She's just going, wait, maybe this is not a good idea. Maybe I should, maybe I should get my floaties back on because I'm not sure if I'm ready for this or not. And see, there was no amount of courage in her. She couldn't muster up the willpower to just jump in. She was too afraid. It wasn't going to happen. But what she did realize was, you know what? I may not have the willpower or the courage to jump in and to swim, but daddy's there. And see, I trust dad. And I know that he's going to take care of me. And if he says that I'm going to be okay, even though I don't feel like it, I'm going to trust that he's got a plan, that he's got it all figured out. And so she jumps in and she swims over to me and she's like, what? I did it, Dad. She's just doing laps after that, and she's just having a great time. But see, that's exactly what it looks like for us to be people of character, is there is no amount of willpower, there's no amount of uh, self-generated courage that I can have on my own, especially in those difficult moments. I would rather give up, compromise, take the shortcut. However, I do trust in God's character. And from that, I can draw the courage and the willpower and the strength needed in order to maintain mine. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for being a God that is faithful, that is consistent, that is a God of character that we can rely on and depend on, especially in those moments when we don't have the willpower or the discipline to maintain our own character. We can draw that strength from you and be able to stay consistent. And so, Lord God, we thank you for who you are and who we can be in light of that. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.